Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. This first podcast session is taken from a conference we attended in Hanover, the EV and Battery Show. It's a panel session where I was on the stage with uh, engineers from Ford and Johnson Controls, and we were talking about the advent of low-voltage 48-volt electrification and how that can help achieve emission standards, fuel economy benefits, and really where that's heading in the industry. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming now to the final session of this day, and this is the 48-volt question-and-answer session. In the session before, we already have raised a couple of good questions well, but what will happen in the, in the market of hybridization, etc. So here you have now the chance, including OAM, to get get your answers from qualified people who can answer that question. Before we raise now the questions to the experts, let me introduce very short. Victor Heuser from Ford. Maybe you have some words to you personally and your business life. On uh, in the section of RNA, Ford RNA, so it's more about concept. So proving concept, is it worth, especially on, on that session, is, is it worth to implement 48 volt, yes or no, in this case. And uh, I worked about uh, six years in Aachen, and Aachen could say is the, the, or was the main research center outside of the USA. And then I, I, I moved to Cologne, and Cologne is still, or in, in Cologne, I'm still working on in, in the RNA section, and my part is really about uh, inter, in integration or system integration of e-drives, especially focused on 48 to 8 volt, covering also high high voltage, but the main focus is really here on high voltage. So it's really uh, included into the P0 architecture as well. You know, going further and looking on the next next gen. Topology, what phase, what, what comes next? You know. Thank you, Victor. Phil, Phil Johnson Controls, Phil Shaw. That's right, thanks, uh, Edmund. Yeah, Phil Shaw, Johnson Controls. I'm the product line director for our advanced battery um, part of the company, so primarily focused on uh, lithium ion, and actually with a specific focus really on 48 volt and 12 volt. Previously, I worked for um, AVL, powertrain consultants, and, uh, and also spent about 15 years at Ford Motor Company. So, very happy to be here. Thank you. And the third guy is Ryan Moon. Moon? Moon, well done. Moon. Yeah. <laughs> I have asked the question how to explain it in, in the right way. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, I'm the, the founder and the managing director of a company called Avid Technology. We're based in the north of England. We uh, design and manufacture components for electrified powertrain. And particularly, we've done an awful lot of work in the area of um, electrified ancillary systems, uh, low-voltage electrification, 48 volts, mild hybrid systems um, over the last 15 years. Um, we do high-voltage now as well, and power electronics and motors and stuff, but uh, a lot of the business is around 48 volts and hybrid systems, particularly for 
heavy duty and off highway applications. Mm-hmm. A little bit different. Um, our focus is not typically passenger car, um, though that is changing a little bit. And a, a, a lot of what we have done and are doing is around trucks and buses and off highway machinery. So there's a huge opportunity. For that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Before I go to the questioner of the audience, I have a personal question. You mentioned Ford. When will we see the first 48 volt car in a serious production? You know, at this, Ford. In in one of this this morning's session, there was a question raised: uh, if somebody in the audience have a 48 volt mild hybrid vehicle, and nobody said yes and said, "Of course," because <laughs> everybody's waiting for the Ford vehicle. <laughs> so um, I can tell you, since it's not officially yet, I can tell you when, but uh, of course soon. So uh, I think it's not a, not, not a secret that almost everybody's working on 48 volt and uh, looks like, you know, as it was in, at the very beginning saying, will that come? Is it really worth, you know? Finger got burned on the 42 volts level. Mm-hmm. So people were very cautious, you know, in terms of, I don't know. But I think right now nobody would say, I don't know if it comes. So it will even, come. Even... I can say it will come, yeah. <laughs> I heard from a couple of OEMs the uh, information, Volvo announced it very, very aggressive it's six months ago. They said 100% penetration of fo- uh, some kind of electrification in their car, in the complete fleet. And they mentioned also 48 volt. That was one of the first articles I saw in the press. Mm. So, is, Are there plans to, um, in your company too? Or do you limit, let's say, the 42-volt application to special platforms? From, from the company side, it's hard to speak about uh, numbers. And especially speaking for Ford, it's not quite easy. But um, if you want to hear my opinion in this case, it's about that uh, I see there's a big potential that 42-volt will be the new stop-start. Okay. okay. So, you know, stop-start really began, began slowly, Mm-hmm. And now it's almost in every car. And if we see, you know, the the, um, the interaction with the diesel and the possible diesel ban, we, we don't know, you know. And uh, I think uh, in, if you see the other features, what 48 volt is bringing to the vehicle, like comfort start and enhanced electrification, fuel economy, mm-hmm. of, of, of course, in this point, and also enhancing the, the power supply functionality in this case, offering more feature content. Um, I think there is a, a big potential that it will be really broad in all our vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last session, there was the question if 48-volt uh, could be an answer to meet the European CO2 emission values. Bill, any idea? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think the, the question actually was a little bit beyond that. For CO2, I think it's uh, very well understood now. We, we see the growth in the market. We see the... Uh, the capability of a 48-volt system to support it depends on whose numbers you believe and exactly how the vehicle's tested, but maybe somewhere between 10 and 15% fuel economy improvement, mm-hmm. depending on your baseline. So that's a, a very significant step towards achieving a fleet uh, compliance for ACA or in China for the CAFC requirements, and we'll see this in China as well, of course. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. But then when we get to the other emissions, and what I think we see with Euro 6 is a really fairly significant step um, in the NOx emissions. And the, the ability of a 48-volt system to take a load off the engine, mm-hmm. um, particularly if we think about diesels, and we know where diesels potentially head on, certainly if you believe all of the, the diesel gate uh, and, and the fallout from that, 
Um, but a 48 volt system does have the ability to reduce the load on the engine in such a way that you have a, a far um, easier task to deal with that NOx emissions than otherwise maybe you would have, especially when you're trying to achieve Euro 6 emission standards. Mm-hmm. Ryan, we started with in, in this in this session here with this, uh, let's say, prediction. What could be, in your point of view, the penetration, let's say, in 2025 for 48-volt vehicles? How do you see that? I think I, I think it's you know, 80% or more. With 48-volt uh, systems, you've got a conventional 48-volt mild hybrid. We're already working on uh, high-voltage, uh, full EV drivetrains, which are using 48-volt uh, components in the ancillary systems. Mm-hmm. So one of the things about a lot of com- the componentry involved, it's not just mild hybrid and that's it. You know, actually there's some benefits on a high voltage EV and hybrid as well to mixing and, and having some other components there. So there's a good chance even a vehicle which isn't a 48 volt mild hybrid could still use 48 volt components in the powertrain. Yes, I think that is a big potential too. Okay, let's go to the first question. I Let me highlight this. Which cars are coming down the track with second-generation 48-volt systems? Who wants to answer that question? I can... Um, okay. So, so we, we, we were hoping to make a big announcement at the show, um, but unfortunately we didn't get clearance of the photograph from our customer's press office. But the interesting thing about it is it's for the second-generation 48-volt system, <laughs> and the first-generation one isn't even in the market yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that's a huge... Uh, program within their in their business, and and I know they're not the only people who are already starting work on second uh, second version, more integration, more 48 volt components in the in the drive line. Do you see a significant, um, let's say, improvements in technology when we are talking about the second generation? Yeah. What is it? Is it more integration? So I think um, more. You've got two elements with the 48 volt system. You've got the primary. Uh, sort of crank assist, um, if you like, traction machine. But then you've also got the ancillary systems, so things like cooling pumps, cooling fans, steering system, air conditioning, mm. uh, compressor, all of the ancillary parasitic loads on the engine. The first-generation systems didn't typically have 48 volts driving those um, ancillary systems, or certainly not all of them. So there's much more of the ancillary system being uh, converted to 48 volts now um, as well as m- a more deep level of integration with the uh, the traction machine and either the transmission or the engine. Mm-hmm. That leads me to this question, which is, let me see. Will 48 volt, volt come for additional components and auxiliaries? I think you, you just mentioned that. I would like to hear the, the voice of an OEM. <laughs> yeah. I think it makes, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you have a look on heated features, for example, like uh, the heated windscreen, probably the, well, on the 12-volt side, the only OEM who had heated windshields was Ford, because we had a patent on it. Uh, and since this was covered, uh, other OEMs had to go to 42 volts or to 24 volts. to get. Um, they used some kind of a f- metal film, you know, there, um, and then they used higher p- power. And once you had that feature, it's really nice. And, you know, thinking about really uh, a high-power feature like this heated front screen with a power range of one kilowatts, um, sure, you know, it makes sense to put there 48 volt and other features like eat, eat turbo, you know. Um, if we think about electrifying and uh, our, our conventional um, engines, 
uh, one kilowatt is not typically the range the people are looking for for eTurbo. eTurbo makes fun when it comes to two kilowatts more, okay? But it's not capable to be supplied by a 12-volt system. So, of course, especially on the high energy basis, we see that uh, feature or components going to be migrated from, for, from 12 volt to 48 8, 8, 8 volt. That doesn't mean that uh, we're, you know, getting rid of 12 volt since we have too many things, you know, running on 12 volts for all vehicles, you know, just to get that volume. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm old enough. I was part of the discussion and the first specifications when, we t when the automotive industry started to talk about 42 volts. That's now 18, 19 years ago. And their first purpose was to go with uh, high power loads only. They wanted to have the valve train electrified. That meant at that point in time, let's say, 800 watts per cylinder. Okay, And they, they couldn't realize it with 12 volts. So during the evolution of specification of 42 volts, they came to the, the team came to the conclusion, why shouldn't we go immediately to 36 volt at that point, or 36 or 42 volt at that point in time, and get rid of the 12 volt system. <clears throat> With this question, the 42 volt discussion died immediately. Yeah? That was the killing factor, because the killing factor said, we need to build in parallel to 12 volt system everything in 42 volt at that point in time. And then the cost was incredibly yeah, exploding. Mm -hmm. And that was, at the end of the day, the discussion, the dead of the discussion. Now, 48 volt, as of today, is based on the 42 volt specification, uh, which have been generated in, in, uh, in 2000. The question, when I think back to this story, is a completely different one. We are starting now in a different, let's say, environment. Yeah? We see the need for CO2 reduction. We see the need of building vehicles which are affordable to customers. Yeah? Not, not every customer is willing to pay five to 7,000 euros for a hybrid vehicle. So there must be a, a good trade-off leverage. And the trade-off is, is uh, if I have the right values in my mind, you, you reduce 70% CO2 reduction in comparison to a full hybrid, high-voltage high hybrid, by just one-third of the cost. Yeah. And if I have to pay just, let's say, 1,000, 2,500 euros for this additional function, which gives a significant value to the customer, yeah, this is something the people are willing to pay for. Yeah. And there I see, first of all, powertrain functions. Then in, for, for, let's say, the high sophisticated vehicles, they can have pre-cooling of the car, pre-heating or whatever is possible there. I think we are in a an extremely <coughs> valuable valuable story when we are talking about forty eight volts. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Good. Let's come to the next question. Why really do you need a forty eight volt system for uh, a plug in hybrid vehicle? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think you do see a forty eight volt system in a, a PHEV. Uh, PHEV. My expectation is will remain as a, a high voltage, um, at least in my definition of the architecture, would remain as a high voltage application that will be a part of the fleet that enables overall compliance. A 48 volt system to me uh, will remain, uh, let's say, most likely some kind of a parallel hybrid. Uh, so a P0, maybe a P2 application, potentially. Or, um, Mercedes have a P1 actually. 
But I don't see I don't see forty eight volt being plug in at any point. I, I don't think the overall benefit would be there. In my opinion. I have a so a slight variation on that would be what what we are seeing in some applications uh, is you have a the, the sort of high voltage um, primary traction system, um, and then you would have the some of the accessories, so the high power accessories where it's a difficult decision as to whether or not it's 12 volts, 48 volts, or high voltage, because the high voltage seems obvious. But let's say the uh, power steering system or the cooling pump for the engine or the, the cooling fans, but then you start to look at the system cost of implementing a 400-volt cooling fan, and it becomes prohibitive quite quickly, but you've got... If, if you looked at a, a sort of higher higher performance passenger car, you know you, you could have up to 15 kilowatts of power consumption on the uh, thermal management system. So if you can shift that away from either engine-driven components or 12 volt components to, to 48, then there's some quite significant efficiency gains and weight saving in terms of reducing cables. If you're you know, converting 12 volt uh, 750 watt coolant pump to a 48 volt um, pump. There's a there's significant mass and uh, performance improvements that can be gained there, and we're seeing people start to start to do that on hybrid architectures and, and also on full EV architecture um, as well. So so that would be a it's a high voltage plug-in hybrid, but it's got 48 volt components in it um, to make it more efficient or effective. Does that mean that uh, in the future we will see, let's say, standardized, let's say, AC compressors for mid-size, small cars, etc.? Probably. Mm -hmm. No, if if you see one, as, as mentioned, Mercedes made made that that step with the P P1, and you know, and what we experienced is always there is a chicken egg issue a bit, you know, when. As, as, you, as you mentioned, you know, in the past it was about 42 volts and, you know, people started to say, okay, 40, 42 volts will come. And uh, now we really see that uh, suppliers are really careful in this case and say, do you want to have, sure, 48 volt components? And we, say, we are asking, do you have some? And they ask, okay, if you want some, we, ha we will have some. And, you know, this is this, this game, the turning, turning around, you know, mm -hmm. and um, there's really needed some close interaction to say, well, in which cases does it make sense? As mentioned, you know, cooling fans or, or other stuff, okay? And is, is there a need to transform or to, to, to put all, all the loads I have on 12 volt on a 48 volt? Is it really then a, the question is always, why do I need to, to do this? Mm -hmm. Do I have some, any, a, any benefit? If, and if, if yes, why not? Okay, then mm -hmm. we should do that. And if I don't see any benefit in coming, putting a load from 12 volt to 48 volt, why shall I do this? Yeah. You know? and, and, I, and I think that's very, very important. We, we had the conversation in the last session about whether there are, say, three power nets in the vehicle, high voltage and 48 and 12 volt. And there's a lot of components that we can talk about. So the electrification of the accessories uh, with, with Mercedes P1 system, they've actually, on one of their vehicles, have essentially deleted the Fiat. Mm -hmm. um, which is, which is fantastic. But the, there are a lot of other components in the vehicle yeah. that rely on 12 volt. Everything from controllers to interior lights to the lighting system, as you know it already, the infotainment system. The, so there's a wide array of components. And to move that entire industry, per your comment to the 42 volt, to try to move that entire industry to a 
different voltage standard is incredibly costly. Mm -hmm. Do you think we will even be in the, let's say, future 10, 15 years from now, still go with 12 volt for this low power applications? I, I believe so. Okay. I think there's, there's a strong case to stay on 12 volts for a very long time for that support network, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We had um, to completely the other end, a customer was talking about 5 volts. Right. It's a long time ago, huh? <laughs> yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So going 5 volts, 48 volts. Yeah, uh, this is a question that I think nobody can answer just as today. But what I see is um, the infrastructure that you need to have to... Um, supply the high voltage to the, to the devices is extremely expensive due to safety reasons. Yeah? Just as an example, the traditional wiring harness has 1,000 cut leads on 12 volt, yeah? and it's two, two and a half kilometers long. And the cost for a 15 cut lead high, power a high voltage harness is almost the same. Because you have to make sure that nobody, under whatever conditions, should be getting in touch with this high voltage. Because the first dead guy will kill the discussion. Makes sense. Okay, let's go to the next question. What do the current array of 48-volt systems look like? What are their specific 48-volt storage features? Well, I think this is something for you. <laughs> I think, first of all, Christoph answered this to some extent in his presentation in the, in the previous session. Uh, and and uh, he was right in saying what we see right now is a majority of the systems are P0 systems, so an MGU on a belt uh, on the front end of the engine. And that's typically the most cost-effective way for an OEM to implement a 48-volt architecture. What that does, when you look at the uh, test cycle and currently we're at NEDC it's, it's going to migrate but currently we're at NEDC here and in China and that tends to drive a certain power requirement for the system because the OEMs obviously are targeting compliance as a major part of the rationale for implementing these technologies and that tends to drive you to around about a 15 kilowatt power device which then subsequently because the complete powertrain system is, is carefully matched then drives the energy storage. And what that really means is we see a, an energy storage device, a 48-volt lithium-ion battery capable of 13 to 15 kilowatts uh, charge and discharge, uh, typically around about a 10-amp-hour system. So depending on chemistry and depending on specific OEM, it may be a little less, it may be a little more, but it's typically about 10 amp-hours. Because of the power requirements, because of the location, we can still live with those devices being passively cooled. Onboard BMS, CAN communication. So they're, and, and actually, if you looked at a number of the different manufacturers, they're not that significantly different for the Generation 1 device. It's, it's pretty much that kind of a, a device. I think the biggest challenge for both the suppliers and the OEMs is, is where do you squeeze it in the vehicle? Okay. Coming to the next question. Which are the traditional 12-volt consumers, devices in the powertrain area that are most probable to be switched to 48-volt? I think, uh, Ryan? Basically anything with a power consumption over about 500 watts. Perfect, yeah. With a high duty cycle. So, um, fuel and pumps, cooling fans, HVAC components, commercial vehicles. We also have air compressors for brakes and suspension, etc. So, like, huge list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for me it was interesting when, when, when I made my first studies, and this is a couple of years ago, there's also high potential for the pumps, you know, fluid pumps. 
air pumps, whatever is needed with uh, running with fluids, etc. So oil pumps is uh, valuable in, in that area. So there is a, a variance of new functions which we will implement into the vehicles. And this is independent. If, it, if this is a full hybrid vehicle or EV or yeah. just a, let's say, 48 volt mild hybrid or micro hybrid. Yeah. And some of the things that are coming that are new features that you couldn't do before. So uh, things like direct heating of the SCR reactor, um, which you couldn't do before. Mm. And kind of pre preheating, sort of like block heater basically arrangements to heat the engine up and precondition the engine. Lots of new functionality. I have a question to uh, Victor. Uh, I'm not sure if I already mentioned that. I mentioned that once. The adjustment between the electrical motor and the combustion engine. Can, is there potential to arrange it to, to bring the CO2 and the NOx values to almost zero? Okay, CO2 not, but I heard about NOx. You know, emissions is, is a part I tried not to deep dive too much into it, but and, and certainly I, I had sometimes. Um, as mentioned before, you know, some kind of a cat heating, so catalyst heating mm-hmm. could be a potential. Not knowing really how much, you know, the, the, the load shift mm. really helps in that point there too. Otherwise, I would lie. So there is a potential, but 100%, I think, hard to make. If so, I think we would have done. Okay. The first 48-volt Ford vehicle, will it build, be built in Cologne? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's come to the next question. Is the battery cost a significant part of the overall 48-volt system? Who from you wants to answer, Phil? Um, I mean, in a traditional P0 system, yes, for sure. It's it's probably up around between the 25 and 30 percent mark, I would estimate, for for the system uh, as part of the complete system. Um, But as described in the previous session, as we start to see these systems evolve and we go from a P0 to maybe P1, P2, P4, uh, the cost of the rest of the system change quite significantly, and we'll start to see a lot of additional features, uh, as Ryan has said, migrate onto the 48-volt network. So that will, that will, for one thing, shift the balance. The other part of it is uh, we, we continue to see a pretty strong uh, reduction in lithium-ion battery prices, notwithstanding uh, London Metal Exchange prices in the last sort of few months, but, uh, but in general, those prices have been... battery of a, the, the price of a battery system have been dropping, so it's becoming certainly very much more affordable. It makes business sense from an OEM point of view in terms of a path to meeting the uh, fuel economy and emissions requirements. I think that's why we see the level of penetration. So it's, it's becoming a less significant part of the cost. When you hear the values that I'm brought into this discussion, that I said, okay, 1,000 to 1,500 euros additional for a 48-volt system, is that something reasonable, feasible? Is that okay, or do you think it is too low? I'm, I'm just R, RNA, I'm sorry. <laughs> Even if it's, if it's not a little bit too high, I think. I'm not sure if... Th- thousand euros, you know, it's, it, I think it started like, like this. This is where, you know, the big doubts where it doesn't make sense to go this way, not going to a more value or, you know, a lower spec, high voltage one. But I think it could be below that. Okay, sounds good, huh? That means the application would also fit to the small cars, yeah? Good. Well, you know, talking about, as I said, if 48 volt could be the, the new stop start, I think stop start is also av- available in a Fiesta, in a Cougar. So. I think we are in front of a very interesting future. 
<laughs> the, the, the other question of or the, the other benefit, uh, you know, looking also on 48 volt is a lot, of, a lot of our customers like that diesel feeling, you know, having that low end torque. Mm-hmm. And now in case a diesel ban comes, okay, to not, not being able to uh, drive downtown some, some, somewhere like London, Paris, or um, there's a question also to have a gasoline engine and adding to it 48 volt and get, getting that kind of diesel feeling to get a higher low end torque in this case. Mm-hmm. So there is a potential really coming in. If we talk about, you know, we, we just heard, so the first battery will be probably around one, uh, 10 ampere hours. Um, and if you have a look on the e-drive side, you know, 250 amps was maximum. We will never go above 250 amps. So 12 kilowatt was the maximum power available on an, on an e-drive based on 48 volt. Now, you know, we are talking about why not going higher. Okay, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense probably to go up to 500 amps. Okay, and uh, due to some, 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 some assessments of OEMs and, and other sub- suppliers, we see a benefit there that probably we can go to an, an enabled feature then, you know, like in the past reserved only for full hybrids like e-drive, electrical parking, higher rec- recuperation, okay? And this is something that could be enabled all, that feature, by mm-hmm. their te- technology. I think, I think there's another interesting element to the affordability of 48-volt systems that, um, that hasn't yet been touched on. Um, from a consumer perspective, that show that we typically aren't very keen to pay for fuel economy in general. And, and we can argue the case, but the reality is, in, obviously, in the U.S., we buy trucks. In Europe, where we're clearly more green, the fastest-growing segment of the sales is SUVs. In China, it's typically SUVs, people carriers. So the notion that we will pay for fuel economy isn't entirely true, and the OEMs have had to struggle with this for some time because they're required to be compliant but the customer doesn't want to pay for the technology. This is actually one of the difficulties with diesels because the customer doesn't want to pay for the after-treatment system. There's a lot of cost in that, especially, again, for Euro 6. One of the tricks that the 48-volt system has up its sleeve that kind of got touched on but never really got expanded on are the additional features you can enable in the vehicle that can be revenue-generating. Um, increased performance, we'll, we'll all pay for performance, we'll all pay for safety, we'll all pay for comfort, we'll all pay for chassis dynamics... Uh, these are all options that we'll, that we'll pick, and this helps to make the 48-volt system a, a very much more affordable solution for the economy. Okay. <clears throat> I would like to change the uh, focus a little bit in our discussion uh, towards uh, technology and um, architectures, topologies. Uh, Ryan, what is your idea, what kind of architecture would be, let's say, the dominating architecture in the future. The P0 is most probably the the most simple one. Then we have the P1 and we have the P2. And I saw on the fair downstairs a very, let's say, impressive P4 architecture, uh, which will be coming into into serious production, as I heard, uh, now in the next couple of weeks. Do you think that um, P4 could be one of the best solutions or P2? Or do you think the highest penetration will be most probably P0 or P1? I think um, the, the, the trend is definitely towards speedless engines. So the, the front-end drive is will be gone um, almost entirely from pretty much every size of engine. The... Um, Mainly connected to the design cycle. If if you're trying to implement 48 volt hybrid on a existing engine platform, and you 
don't want to invest the money changing the engine, it makes sense to keep everything the same as it is. But uh, as soon as that engine comes up for renewal and you're making changes and you can move things and optimize things, actually more integrated system and a feedless system brings benefits which help to take costs out. You're adding costs, but you, you're, you're taking costs out of the system as well and adding adding functionality. So I think whether it's um, P1, P2, P4 position, uh, uh, almost irrelevant. I think the big the big thing will be it won't be on the front end, and the engines will be feedless. Devices will be highly integrated into the engine transmission or rear axle. Mm-hmm. So also at the moment, you know, the the standard thing is a a motor and an inverter and a separate kind of separate unit. It'll be very highly integrated into the drive line. Um, following that question, I had a discussion in the morning, and I asked I asked at that uh, specific uh, customer. Uh, what is, let's say, the maximum that you can reach with a 48-volt um, hybrid system or mild hybrid system to cars? And the answer was the target is 25%. We are now at 20%. And when he says 25%, then we are in the area of the high-voltage hybrid vehicles. Yeah? The question in my mind is, do we still need hybrid vehicles? high-voltage hybrid vehicles, or is it sufficient when we are going with 48 volt and concentrate on that and pure electrical vehicles? I would come back there to you achieve high, you know, low 20s, uh, high teen percentage improvements with a 48 volt where it's it, it's a advanced system with a you know, crank assist device, recuperation and electrified ancillaries all very well optimized together. You get the same add-on benefit on a high-voltage hybrid. So you could, your you sort of standard high-voltage hybrid that still has a mechanical engine cooling pump and a, you know other um, low intelligence ancillaries doesn't do as well as one that is more electrified. So I think there's a, you can catch up to a, a low technology level high-voltage hybrid but then there's potential to improve those more as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we found that consistently with all of the projects that we work on. If, if, if you just consider the... I think a lot of people have been very obsessed with the, the traction side of it, so the providing power to move the vehicle, but actually, you know, modern vehicles, the ancillary systems sometimes on some driving cycles consume more power than the the traction of the vehicle, mm. and then in commercial vehicles, they always, you know, in a bus, the, the HVAC system is a huge power consumer, the engine cooling system is a huge power consumer relative to the drive cycle power mm. consumption. So um, there's huge uh, potential in the ancillary systems around the around the primary traction as well. Mm. So the answer to the question is, I think, yes, there's still a place for high-voltage uh, hybrids in, in under certain mission Uh, profiles but you'll see technology level increase on those as well so um the system that i saw in the morning was a uh, let's say scale scalable system there were uh, the 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 power of the generator was 13.5 kilowatt peak and they had two systems in parallel so they are counting up to let's say close to 30 kilowatts is this value of of uh, the engines 
something, let's say, which is uh, pointing to the far future? Or can we um, imagine that these kind of systems could enter the market, let's say, during the next five to ten years? Under these, what I mean with that, under these conditions, you could drive with 48 volt. You do not need, even need a higher voltage level like a high voltage uh, hybrid. Um, if you have a look on today's market, you know, there is a high price market, you know, like Model S. And uh, if you have a look on the announcement of other OEMs that, you know, if you, if you want to, if, if you're owning an electric vehicle right now, you want to show, show that. So uh, in this case, you know, if you want to show that you have an electric vehicle that can com compete with a Porsche, uh, probably 48 volt is not enough in this case. Yeah, yeah that's true. If we talk about mo mobility, okay, if it comes more to a to a sensible, you know, way that we are thinking, okay, what kind of mobility is, is is needed? Then of course, and you know, we are looking right now on 48 volt only on on mild hybrid. But what happens if if we go to new new mo mobility concepts like? Some kind of urban urban vehicles, okay? And the urban vehicles they don't they don't have to accelerate in a way like a sportive car, or they don't have to to uh, to, to to drive at high speed. In this case, if you just think about such a rear axle, what it will could be fairly enough in this case. If a vehicle brings you from A to B, why not? Why not choosing 40, 48 volt? And I think this will also give show shows that in the future there will be no they talk technology that will solve everything. I think we have then to pick. You know, like on the e-drive, you pick there is no e-drive, the perfect e-drive for everything. Mm -hmm. So it depends really on the application. But for sure, what we see that uh, 48 volt has a higher potential than we thought first. You know, propulsion on 48 volt never ever mm -hmm. changed. If we are looking now to power levels higher than 25 kilowatts, um, Phil, is it possible to have the batteries in place? It's no problem. Develop a battery at 48 volts and can deliver more than 25 kilowatts, but that's not the only bottleneck in the system. Um, I mean, you can you can grow power through capacity, through careful electro design, through different chemistry. So there's things that you can do in the battery that can enable the power. If you can remember, at 25 kilowatts, you're quite a long way beyond, especially if you're up above your nominal voltage. You, you're quite a long way beyond. 500 amps at that point. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, you, you, you're now approaching other limits. You start to, so you start to approach um, or, or potentially go beyond power limits, uh, sorry, um, thermal limits of the insulation on the, on the copper. You start mm -hmm. to reach the ampacity limits of copper itself. So now you get very constrained on how you architect the system and just how close that battery has to be to that load. So is it, is it possible from a battery point of view? Yeah, I believe it is. But from a complete system architecture point of view and what an OEM is capable of packaging with the rest of the constraints, I think that's quite a stretch. Mm -hmm. When I built this um, prototype vehicle, it's now three years ago, I observed, and this, first of all, it was quite normal, but every feature and function, every device we had was intelligent. We had a CAN interface, Battery had a CAN interface, and uh, e-charger, the supercharger had a CAN interface. So at that point in time, do you think CAN is still the the protocol, or do we need something in addition? I, I think we'll be on CAN and then CAN FD for some time, and we see other communication standards 
um, flex rate, etc., coming along. But again, the level of investment that it takes to start to change communication protocols in this in this for this question is significant. I think CanFD will be a more popular approach uh, in in the next three, four, five years. But but for sure that these devices will remain smart devices on CAN. If 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 you're also adding features like you know autonomous features level three four five you know of course then we have to think probably about other ones you know because then you know the I think the 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 the, the rate of of can or even can of D isn't enough in this case but this is again you know right now so many things are happen so so many happens right now mm-hmm. so um, how to, how to say but for the conventions system I would really say yes why not. But, um, uh, in that car, I built up the, uh, let's say, the intelligence was um, located in the engine controller. Um, so the engine controller will be delivered from, a, let's say, a handful of tier ones. Who is writing the algorithms in terms of uh, energy management, battery management? In what hands is it? Is it in the hands of the OEMs, or do you still rely on the expertise of the big companies, tier one companies. You probably ask me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what I see is some kind of a trend to do it more in-house. Okay. Since uh, you see now, you know, as, 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 as you, when you really look on the com- complex picture that power supply functionality, power, power, power train functionality and so on, it's work more and more closer and it's really inter- I- interacting. So it's coming out a really complex picture. And uh, even in one com- company on different teams, it's not quite easy. But if I have to source it out to a sup- sup- supplier, does he really understand what I mean? It, I think it is possible, but I th- see rather a trend going into the, the way that doing it more in-house. Yeah, and that le- leads me to another question. Maybe this is a little bit challenging, but I, <laughs> I take the chance to have that discussion. So the unique selling point is... Um, Vehicles, its performance, yeah, its features and functions, its design. Now, when we are coming to, let's say, mild hybrid vehicle or electrified vehicles, um, then the part of the USP is the battery, is the electrical motor. Do you think you will build electrical motors and maybe batteries in the future? Um, others do. Mm. Um, yeah, I th- I think so because there will be a time where the the ICE area, so the the engine area, will go down, you know, s- slightly. And right now, this is our our main know-how we have so far. You know, mm-hmm. we know how to build ICEs, uh, and if the ICE is going in the in in, in, the, in the volume more and more down, okay, we have to search some something else. Of course, building a vehicle is not, not, not easy in total to get all the things connected and arranged. But I think you know, that the trend will also go into that, that way, deep dive into e-machine and inverter build-up. Sounds good. Now, Phil, I, the next question is, I'm pretty sure for you. Which role can ultra-caps, super-caps play in 48 volt? Would you comment on the Mazda i-loop system with an ultra, ultra cap? Honestly, not really. Um, so we've looked at the, the i-loop system, um, and there's certainly people in our company who can tell you a lot more about it than I can. 
uh, we continue to study the role of caps versus batteries and we continue to evaluate the capabilities. Um, I think what we see right now is, the, although we can see, we can see a, uh, a, a low cost preferred from certain suppliers, um, and they can play a role. I mean, we see them, PSA use them, um, GM use them in some models. So they, they are there. Um, they simply don't have the overall energy density, I think, for the broader applications that we're seeing of 48 volt. And there may be some niche applications, there may be some specific um, operations in the vehicle that that would suit. But I, honestly, I don't see a, a right now a broad application of capacitors in vehicles uh, compared to batteries, especially when you look at the power that can be delivered from certain chemistries like LTO. Um, do you think it might be a technology that helps to facilitate solid state? I'm, I'm going to defer that. I mean, potentially, yeah, but then solid, solid state is, uh, as we heard in the last session, um, it's, it's probably coming, but it's probably 10 years out, and I think it's been 10 years out for a couple of years now. It's, we, we constantly find that all of this stuff is harder than we originally expect. <laughs> and, and, and it takes longer to develop. It certainly takes longer to develop to the standards that the OEMs expect uh, and, and that consumers demand. So I think all of these technologies will continue to evolve. I think all of these technologies will um, have some niche application and, and area that they can support. But when you're talking about what makes economic sense, then what makes economic sense typically from a mass market manufacturer is volume. And I don't think we're going to see high volume takes on, on those kind of applications. In this thought is, um, let, let's say the other way around. I'm thinking, you know, it's always the balance between high power, high energy. Isn't it valid to talk about hybrid batteries uh, consisting out of uh, super caps for high power? And the battery cells for high energy? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, um, and and there's that, that's a constant discussion we talk about. And, and we can talk about what a hybrid battery could be. It could be um, lead with lithium. Mm -hmm. It could be two different flavors of lithium chemistry. It could be lithium with uh, caps. Um, but the... as, as uh, as one of my colleagues who continues to mentor me continues to tell me, there's nothing like the threat of extinction to promote innovation. And, uh, and what that really means is um, the, the more traditional approach to delivering power and energy from a battery, that continues to evolve at a very, very rapid pace. There's more money going into that than a lot of these other applications, and so we'll continue to see that lead the pack. Never say never. I think there's certain applications, again, potentially fairly niche applications that could afford and would adopt a, a hybrid battery or a hybrid solution like a battery with a cap. But I, I don't see it as being a mass market appeal because I don't think it will become ultimately sufficiently affordable mm -hmm. um, in, in, the, uh, in the mass market. You mentioned innovation. I, I, some, some, some thoughts came into my mind. So uh, just now we have batteries in uh, the e-mobility market. We have batteries in the mobile, mobile handies and uh, computers, etc. 
We have batteries, or we are starting to use batteries also for the power station, the energy con uh, uh, production. Uh, I, s I heard ideas from uh, Elon Musk that he want to equip uh, the, the, the windmills with, with the garages of batteries. So uh, all over the planet there is uh, at least uh, R&D innovation on, on batteries. Do you think there will be somewhere in the next couple of years some kind of breakthrough technology that beats lithium-ion and other technologies which are equipping the vehicles uh, as we do it today? Who was that to? <laughs> we start with Ryan. <laughs> I think if I knew the answer to that, I certainly wouldn't tell everyone in the room. <laughs> <laughs> we, we see breakthroughs every day. Um, if you read the various uh, academic press and the various releases, there, there are breakthroughs all of the time. And there's various announcements made on the breakthroughs. But that's only a part of it. Making a breakthrough in a lab is one thing. Mm -hmm making it commercially successful in the face of competing other technologies is really quite another. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely see a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. we, we see them all the time. The question is which breakthrough will become dominant. And, and we've seen some interesting moves recently. Um, Bosch bought um, CO, I think it was, um, solid-state uh, battery manufacturer, battery developer, if you want, uh, and then sell them. So we're going to continue to see that kind of activity. People will place bets on a technology just in case, and we'll see these developments and we'll see the, the activity. The question is which one ultimately will win, and it, and it has to beat, um, first of all, um, existing technology at 12-volt level. Right? Don't, for, don't forget, although we're, and trust me, I'm very excited about where 48-volt can go, but most predictions show by 2025, 60% of the market is still at 12 volt. So these things will all take a bit more time. They'll take a bit more understanding in terms of where you place your bets, which breakthrough will actually displace the incumbent technology. I think 48 volt is well placed to displace 12 volt technology in, in a lot of parts of the application. I think which specific chemistries and, and developments on the lithium ion side. Um, which ones of those will win remains to be seen. On, on the breakthrough side, there's an interesting sort of function of the, the value of the breakthrough, then the, the length of time it takes to get that from lab into volume production, which is really where everyone starts to see it and it becomes interesting. But the, you know, the, the, the absolute best, most exciting, hugest game-changing breakthrough might take six years to get from lab into series. Incremental improvements, you know, maybe 10, 12 years to get from lab, that, that momentum that they can gain. But there's never, there, there's nothing which could be like an immediate uh, impact in the market. There's, there's always that sort of time from lab to series. And the times are significant. I don't see the times really coming down significantly in, in, in the automotive market. Victor, you wanted to say yeah, something? Yeah, I said, you know, we're quite, quite highly focused on energy density and power, power density. But if we think about like stupid things like, okay, if we migrate 12 volt to 48 volt or how, however, and think about new features like autonomous levels, you know, 
Um, the question is, okay, my 12-volt lead-acid battery is always active. Mm -hmm. My 12-volt potential lithium-ion switches off. So it means if I want to lock or unlock my car, on what energy storage? You know, this is where, where it really starts. I can rely on my lead-acid battery. Uh, can I rely also on the, on the new, new chemis chemistry, okay? We quite often hear the new chemistry has ASLD mm -hmm. for any thermal event. But if I'm talking about... Um, uh, at, at autonomous features, uh, I need there an ASLD on power, f power supply functionality. Yeah. So the point is, is my battery able to give me that power and says, no, I'm sorry, I'm hot, you know, I'm running in a, in a thermal issue, I'm, I'm off. No, sir, please be on. So this is also part to, to get a battery, to get a storage device that is capable to give me the power when I need it and not switching off when I really need it, you know. And this... In this, in, in this term, I think we have also to focus on this point. Do I get a power supply storage or a power storage that fulfills my requirements also in terms of safety? Absolutely. I thought about that too. And even today, the wiring harnesses, they are not, not uh, controlled under functional safety yeah? regulations. This is something that will come yeah? and that will strictly modify the, the perspective how we are as engineers looking to the, uh, let's say, power distribution system. Yeah? Okay, gentlemen, we have left one, uh, two minutes. What I would like to do, I give you a chance to, to finalize the, the, the session, three sentences, what you want to tell the audience, and then we would close here. I'm the last. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think for, for me it's always... Um, the same story, I will bang on about the ancillary systems. Don't, don't forget about the ancillaries and the integration and the power management of uh, the ancillary package to get the best out of the 48 volts and the potential for 48 volts to improve high-voltage um, EVs as well. Thank you. So we at uh, Johnson Controls are very committed to the low voltage and the 48-volt space. We continue to work with uh, development partners. We continue to work with OEMs to develop the solutions that will work. Um, happy to talk to you about that at any point uh, through the rest of the conference. And uh, Thank you for your time. Thank okay. you. You know, I, I hope that uh, from an OEM perspective, I was able to somehow handle and show, you know, what kind of picture or the whole picture is in terms of uh, battery and all, times of, all types of voltage levels. So the solution quite often we see is not always one. So we have several ones and it's getting more and more complex in the, in the f future, especially in this case that you're saying there's probably no right E-drive, there's no one voltage level that we say that will fix everything. So we have to focus and it's getting more and more interested but also more and more complex in the, in the, in the future since we have to maintain and keep all, you know, in a, on a certain level and say, okay, I don't want to... I don't want to mess up the safety. I want to keep the safety. I want to keep what the customer expects. But I have to meet also uh, requirements on the um, mission side, you know, on on the fuel economy of of of, of course. So being able being able to handle this is really interesting and uh, keeps on going. Thank you, sirs. It was a pleasure to have you here. So that's the end of our first podcast. I hope you managed to stay with us all the way to the end. We're going to have more podcasts coming out very soon, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel, like it, leave us a comment below. If there's anything in particular you'd like us to cover, mention it in the comment section. 
Okay, thanks very much and bye for now.